This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. And all God's people said, amen and amen and amen. You may be seated. So good to have you with us today. We're in a series called Relationship Reset. And we're looking at how to reset our relationships. Last week, we began to look at what are biblical relationships. Now, our key verse today, you can turn in your Bibles there, Colossians chapter 3, or you can download our app, and, and in our app, you can go to the sermon notes and get a copy of the notes. Last week, we really looked at, it was a very powerful message. I hope that you've listened to it and been a part of that. If not, go to our website and uh, this week, get an opportunity to listen to it. We, we had an opportunity to look at and examine the relational circles in the life of Jesus. We looked at those relational circles. Jesus had the crowd, the 5,000, where he ministered to them their struggles, their needs, what they were walking through. He was there. There wasn't a real commitment in the crowd, but he ministered to their needs. That was the outer circle. The Pharisees were amazed by the crowds that would come to Jesus. And then another circle in, 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 in the life of Christ was the seventy. Now, the 70 are those that he sent out on mission. They shared his mission. They went on that mandate. They served the Lord in serving in in that area that he would send them to. And then the next circle was the circle of the 12. Now, we said a 12 can be 7 or 15. For Jesus, it was 12. It was the circle of the 12. In the 12, they discussed his teachings. He would explain himself. They would ask him, what did you mean? Why could we not do this? How come this didn't happen? Or why did that happen? He would take time to unveil and and to reveal, and they would discuss, and they were with him. They saw things the crowd never saw. They talked about things that the crowd never had a chance to even ask. They were with Jesus. But then, even in the 12, there was a circle of three. In that circle of three, man, they experienced things that even the 12 didn't and the crowd never even imagined. They saw his emotions. They would hear things and talk about things and be with him. And even out of the circle of three, there was a one. There was Peter, James, and John, but then there was the one. Do you remember the one that was maybe closest and dearest to Jesus? Who was that? It was John. John, it was the one Jesus spoke to when he was on the cross, the only disciple that he would talk to on the cross. And he would be there with Jesus. There was a chemistry. There was a a connect that was with Jesus and John, the three, the 12, the 70 to the 5,000. Now, the challenge for all of us is to move out of the crowd circle and begin to move into the 70 and ultimately into a 12. And from a 12, all of us should be pushing towards a circle of two or three or even the one. Why? Is there's power in the 12. There's power in the three. There's power in the one. Now, by the way, just kind of a little FYI uh, for you, you shouldn't skip the circle of three trying to get one in your life. 
And the reason is one cannot meet all of your expectations. One can't be there for everything. My one is my spouse. My one is my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my friend. It's wonderful that we have a one, but don't skip the circle of the two or three because that one cannot meet all your needs, all your expectations. A cord of three is not easily broken, the Bible says, and the reality is if you only have a one and not a two or three, you will get disappointed and that relationship will get strained. So I want to encourage you, push out of the crowd, push towards the 70 and towards the 12 and even even from a 12 into a two or three, because there is joy in our relationships. We find joy when we move out of the 12. Can I just hear an amen? As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. And the beauty of biblical relationships is that we're growing to be what God wants us to be. Worship services are wonderful. Conferences are great. Teachings and lessons and classes that we may take are necessary and important. That information that we receive on who is God, what's the ways of God, the character of God, how do we live for God, that's all important, but it should be in the uh, it should be included in the experience of a one-on-one engagement with the 12, 3, and 1. There's power in that. Can I hear an amen? We said many years ago that, you know, the power of the 12, 3, and 1 is that you're getting into a circle. If you get to a, a life group, you go to someone's home, you go out to eat, you're in a circle. And the power of the circle is circles know. They know one another. They know what you're walking through, what you're experiencing, how to pray for you and lift you up and encourage you. And, and you spur one another on when you're in a circle. The problem is in the, model ch- in the modern church is we've gotten into rows. And the problem with rows is rows don't know. You don't know what's happening with the person at the end of your row. You don't know what they're walking through. You don't know what they're processing and what's happening in their life. And therefore, you push from the crowd to a circle, and you get into that circle, into that 12, and you begin to know one another. That is the power. Now, earlier, Pastor Christian shared with you that we're going into our spiritual growth campaign. The spiritual growth campaign, I'm really excited about this year, is fight. We're going to be looking at Galatians 5 and the, and the battle that we all have to win. It's a, it's a war that we've got to win, and we win it from within. And we're going to look at that, what Paul describes as the, the battle of the spirit and the flesh and carnality and walking in the spirit. And how do we do that? It's a powerful spiritual growth campaign. I want you to be a part of it. One of the powerful things is not only the weekend, but the circle of 12, that you push out of the, out of the crowd to the 12 so that you can really get the, the, the greatest benefit of the spiritual growth campaign. So it's starting in just a few weeks. If you're not in a life group, if you're not in a circle of 12 already, I want to encourage you, will you go ahead and sign up? In fact, they're going to put up on the screen, you're going to see it, they're going to put up the web address where you can get signed up. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and and determine, it's six weeks, just do six weeks, say for the next six weeks, I will do the spiritual growth campaign, it's going to start in two or three weeks, but for six weeks, you'll meet with your group of 12. 
We have groups for everybody, men, women, young adults, couples. Uh, they meet on many different nights of the week. We have over 100 groups all over South Florida and now virtually all over the U.S. and even in other nations. We want you to be a part of a group of 12. And so all you got to do, you'll see the link there. Go ahead and just uh, uh, click over there. Put in your, uh, just, you know, some of your desires. I want a women's group, a men's group, a couple's group. Now, a few years ago, we had a man click he wanted a women's group. Now, it doesn't work that way. Can't do that. But, you know, we, we have a group for you, and, uh, and, 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 and I know it'll be very, very powerful for your life. So that's coming in a couple weeks, and we're, expi- we're excited about it. Today, then, I want to talk about our relationships, Relationship Reset, And I believe relationships are a mess worth making. What do you mean a mess worth making? Well, let's be honest. Relationships are difficult. Doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is. It could be with your spouse. It could be with a friend. It could be with a parent. It could be with a sibling. I mean, it could be with a colleague. Relationships are difficult and they take work if that relationship is going to thrive. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you, regardless of what the relationship is, it's going to cost you something if you're going to have a healthy, maturing, biblical relationship. And today we want to talk about that. I'm going to unpack one key verse. I'm going to use a lot of, or one key passage. We're going to use a lot of different verses to help us understand it. But Paul is very, very clear. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're at. Turn with me, click over there, download the notes. Verse 12, I'm going to read from the Living Translation, and here is Paul's words, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church of believers, the church of Colossae, and he says, since God chose you, he chose you, so it'd be like he's saying to Christian Life Center, God chose you. God's hand is on you. God chose you. You've accepted his message of salvation. You're redeemed. You're you're a follower of Christ. Since God chose you to be holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you So you must forgive others. Above all. Now he's just said a mouthful. But he says, above all, clothe yourself with love. Why? Is it binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Now, can we just say amen to the word of God? Now, we know, I'm going to unpack this for us, but we know that there are no guarantees when it comes to our relationships that our relationships are going to be problem-free. I mean, if you meet the love of your life and you're in love and you've never had a conflict and you get married, I'm guaranteeing you today, you will not have a problem-free relationship. Don't say amen, your spouse might be with you, but 
just kind of wave, you know, no, no way, no, nod your head with me, right? Your, your best friend, your spouse, your, your, your work colleagues, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, you know, all of these are going to take work. And there's no guarantee that it's not going to be demanding, it's not going to be hard work, that you're not going to have to work at it. But what I want you to hear to me, hear me say today is that in our maturity, we can press through the mess of the relationship, and I believe relationships, biblical relationships, is a, wor- a mess worth making so that we can press through. I mean, the strength of your relationship is, is measured not by the absence of problems, but it's measured by how do you handle those problems and how do you grow through conflict, which is the cause of the problem. Now, we get this illusion in the church that just because we're the church, just because we're believers, because I'm in a 12 or I'm in a one, I have a three, because I'm in that, I get this illusion that biblical relationships will not have problems. And because I buy into this illusion that biblical relationships won't have problems, when problems come, when conflict happens, when something is said that hurts, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, or many times when something takes place that causes a pain or a hurt that begins to go into an offense, we have the illusion that things should be perfect and therefore we get out of that relationship. Well, okay, you don't just come out and say, I'm getting out of it. But what do you do? You stiff arm it. You ghost it. You, you begin to avoid it. You begin to have a superficial harmony because the illusion of, of harmony and unity now has been broken with the reality that we're all imperfect and we're all flawed and we're all sinned. And because we're all imperfect, flawed, and sin, there's going to be conflict. But when there's conflict, we don't know how to handle it in the church. Now, you may, not, <laughs> you may not have thought about it, but it's the reality. And so let's take a minute and, and say, what is it that causes this mess? Well, what causes the mess, I'm going to say, is conflict. I said it a minute ago. We're all sinners. We're all imperfect. And we all make mistakes. And, and because of that, the mess in relationships comes because of conflicts that we have. You see, I have a bad tendency. You do too. We judge people by their actions, but I judge myself by my intention. What did I intend to do? Well, I didn't intend to say that. That's not what I meant, but then we judge others by what they actually do and and what has taken place, and all of a sudden, conflict begins to enter in. Now, biblical writers understood this, and to have a, a, a healthy understanding of what biblical relationships were, they helped us to see all through Scripture that there's many causes for the mess, the conflict. Many times it's unmet needs. If you go to a counselor or a psychologist or, or a, a therapist, I guess we call them today, you go to a therapist. As you go to the therapist, they'll begin to look at many times. I mean, I got a stack of books on my desk right now that I'm studying for this series. And man, they begin to talk about this unmet need. And if we have this unmet need, it leads to this kind of reaction. And if I'm doing this kind of reaction, what's the unmet need in my life? What is it that's causing me to feel what I'm feeling that there I, therefore I act the way I act? Well, it might be these unmet needs. It might be personality differences that I think different than you think. I mean, if you're married, you know that many times we marry someone that's opposite to us. Anybody, did that happen to you? 
You married somebody that's opposite of you. I'm an introvert. Candy's an extrovert. We're opposites. I mean, she likes uh, all of these things, and I like all of these things. And all of a sudden, we begin to realize we're opposite. And because we're opposite, we think different. We have different personalities. We communicate different. Uh, you know, we prepare a sermon different. And Candy has to prepare a sermon. I mean, it's totally different. And then at the end of the week, she'll give me her notes and say, can you help me put this together in an outline? And I'm going, yeah, I know what you want to say, but I don't know how to outline it because you think different than I think. And there's nothing wrong with that. Can we hear an amen? Opposites attract. Now, just wave at me if you're married. Did you marry an opposite? Did you marry an opposite? Wave at me. Wow, all these hands that are going. Maybe we should teach a lesson on this. Uh, Lynette and Hugh, I mean, you lead the I do class. <laughs> Maybe we got to do, you know, I did. And now, since I did, what does it mean in my life? You know, opposites attract. And there's so much that you got to work through your personality, the way we think, the way we act. And I'm not just talking about your marriage. I'm talking about in the church. I'm talking about as believers. I'm talking about as we walk through life. I think one of the biggest things that leads to the mess, the conflict in our life, is what the scripture calls our carnality, our, 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 our natural man, right? The flesh, the works of the flesh. I mean, when my insecurities get in the way, what do I perceive being said because of my own insecurity that then leads to a reaction and that reaction now leads to a cause and effect and this is what I did or, or maybe because something was said or not said or a hurt, uh, something that someone did many times. Now, I've been pastoring, uh, pastoring full-time for over 30 years Candy and I have been in large church, mega church settings for over 22 years now. And I can tell you, I've talked to numerous people over and over and over and over. There's a pain. There's a hurt. They're not set free from it. <laughs> they all say, I'm not offended. They all say, I'm not offended. But then they go on to talk about the pain and the hurt. And, 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 and they're not walking in the freedom that comes when we're in Christ. My carnality, my self-centeredness. I'm critical, I'm gossiping, I can be controlling. I mean, we can go through a whole long list of what creates the mess. I've watched in churches. The mess sometimes comes into a church when they might have theological differences, but seldom is it theological differences in a church that begins to be an issue in the church. Usually, it's a philosophical or methodology that comes into the church. We don't do this anymore. We used to do that. We don't do that. We don't do this. And we begin to have all of these things. Now, we, Candy and I, have been in a multicultural church for now 22 years. 22 years, we've led multicultural churches. And I've realized that in leading multicultural churches, there are differences in culture. There's differences in tradition. There's differences in upbringing and preferences that are linked to our culture. Many times our worship is linked to our culture. And that can cause, in a multicultural church, it can cause uh, just a little bit of tension, right? We can manage that tension, but it's a reality there is tension. Now, what I know that I know that I know, and I want to get to, you know, I want to get to the solution for us. This is what God says, but I want to talk about what Paul is showing us on how do we walk it out and live it out. But what I know that I know that I know is that Satan, the enemy of your soul, Satan is stirring conflict. He's sowing seeds of offense, and, and he's getting us to a place. It's like bait. 
It's bait that's being laid out that's luring us. And as it lures us, we, 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 we take bite of it. And if we give in to the mess, to the conflict, to the offense, we can find ourselves in our walk, in our relationships as a church. We can find ourselves in isolation. I mean, if you get offended with somebody, man, if you stiff arm it, I don't know what word to use, that, 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 that there's a ghosting to that relationship. There is a, a removal, right? there's a disengaging. Now you push yourself into isolation. And what happens many times is that we find that that might happen, and as that's happening with one or another or another, the relationships that God wants us to have don't go deep. There's not roots to them. There's not a, a depth to them. And we find that that can lead us down other roads. And that's what Satan's trying to do. He's, he's the author of lies. Can we just agree on that today? He's the enemy of your soul. Can we agree to that today? Can we agree that his job description, Satan's job description, is to kill, steal, and destroy? Kill what? Kill your relationship. Steal what? Your joy, your anointing, the plan that God, come on, come on now, can we just agree? That he has a plan, and it's to stir up division. It's to begin to, to sow seeds of offense and, 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 and hopes that we will take the bait. Because if we take the bait, man, it leads us down a road where that offense can turn to bitterness, that offense can turn to resentment, that, that, event, that, that, that offense or that pain or that hurt can turn to unforgiveness and even hatred or bitterness in our life. And that's what he's trying to do. And so we as believers, as a church, man, we've got to constantly be on the defensive. Remember, the enemy of your soul, the enemy on your soul is out to kill, steal, and destroy. What's he ultimately trying to destroy is the work of God, the plan of God, the anointing God, what God wants to do. And therefore, as believers, we must be on defense. Say defense with me. Defense for this issue of the mess, the conflict, and the, the, just the areas that can lead us into uh, offense. And so this is an important topic. I want to take now the next few minutes, and I want to just share with you from Colossians how we can walk through this. What's the impact of offense if we get hooked by it, if we get hooked by conflict that leads to offense, pain, and hurt? The impact is that when people are offended, they become much more deceived. Say deceived. What's the impact of my offense is that I can be deceived because I'm hurt. Hurt people hurt people. A second thing of the impact of offense is that our love for one another, that's a witness to the world, our love for one another is a spiritual warfare because the enemy of your soul is fighting it. And therefore, we've got to press past the offense because you can't really love one another if there's conflict, if there's disagreement and offense in your heart. Sincere love pushes past it. The impact of offense is we can't pray. Worshiping God uh, properly if offense is in our heart. It weighs your heart down. It hinders you in your heart. Or it blinds you because you've been deceived. Offense. What's the impact of offense? Is offense can turn into deeper problems. We talked about it. Like resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness and, and even anger. And, and it can begin to impact our entire life where now there's a dislike or even a hatred towards somebody else. What are some signs that you've been hurt? What are some signs that there's an offense in our heart? 
is there's a relationship that is strained. You have a strained relationship. A second sign can be that there is a a resistance, a, a hesitation to be together. A third sign is that there's a detachment or a withdrawal from that relationship. I I get detached, I ghost, I, I quit following. There's a detachment that takes place. It leads to conflict and, 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 and resentment, and it leads to losing trust for one another. Proverbs 17 and verse 9 says, but love covers offense. Say that with me. Love covers offense. Turn to someone and say, love covers offense offenses. Now, what do you mean by cover? It's, it's completely to close it, to conceal it, to hide it. It's, it's covering that. So when we learn how to cover the offense and we strive to have closure to the conflict and the offense, God gets glorified. And Paul says, we will walk in peace. So don't give the devil a foothold. Means I've got to close the door to conflict and offense and and disagreement. I've got to determine I'm gonna strive past that so that I can live in unity with God's people. Peter says it this way. He says, above all things, above all things, we can talk about loving God. We can talk about winning the world. We can talk about what God desires in serving him and walking in our anointing and being used by God. But Peter says this. Peter says, above all things, above everything, let there be an intense love. An intense love. And let this love, let it love, let this love, this love that is intense cover a multitude of sins. Well, hear me to say, conflict disagreement and offense is a sin. And it's a sin that the enemy keeps rooted in our hearts so that we are not effective in the work of the kingdom. So what does God say? Now let's begin to look at what do we do? How do we live it out? How do we deal with conflict, disagreement, and offense? Are you ready? All right, all three of you. Since there's only three, Lord, thank you for this service today, you know. (laughs) Uh, Pastor Nadine said to me last week, you finished too early. Keep going. Deep defibrillating me, you know. Keep keep challenging us. How many are ready? You're ready to receive it. (laughs) By the way, this is the most important part of the message. You're probably saying, why didn't you get there first then? But how do we deal with messy relationships. Well, I'm going to give you four biblical principles that come out of the passage of Colossians. The first biblical principle, we don't hear much about it in the biblical term that's used, but that is to admonish one another. Say admonish. Now, I'm going to define admonishing to you in just a moment, but let me read first Romans 15 and verse 14. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible. Paul, Paul wrote Colossians and Paul wrote Romans, chapter 15, verse 14, and concerning you, my brethren. So he's writing to believers in the church. I just need us to get this. He's not, le- he's not writing to people in the world that are not followers of Christ. You see, Paul understood. <laughs> he went through it himself. He understood that conflict can come into relationship. And so he says, I'm concerning you, my brethren, I myself, am also, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. 
and you're able to admonish one another. Now, this is so important because we live in a world, let's be honest, you're going to go to work tomorrow. It might even happen today in your family or in situations. We live in a world where people are constantly beating down and putting down others and they're, 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 they're sidelining them and, they're, and they're, you know, just, uh, they're just not lifting them up is our statement every week, but they're beating them down and pushing them down. Well, admonishing means encouraging and encouraging one another in a way that you come alongside of somebody and you're guiding them and walking with them so that they're encouraged, especially in obedience to the will of God. I admonish you. I come alongside you. I encourage you. In fact, it's not an option here. It's a command. Admonish one another. Admonish. Why? It cultivates deep living relationships and you come alongside and you lift one another up. We say it every week. Can you say it with me? Help us to be people in a church that always build up and never tear down, that always encourage and never That's admonishing one another. It's not a closing prayer, but it's a command of the Lord. And that's what you and I should look like. And that's what we should do if we're going to care for one another. Let's just give the Lord praise. Now, last week, I didn't get a chance to go deep into it, but we talked about this mutuality that's in relationships. It's it's two-sided. It's not one-sided. If you're the only one encouraging, that's ministry. That's not friendship, right? If you're the only one admonishing and encouraging and counseling, you're in a one, and yet you're the only one that's encouraging and and admonishing the other. That's ministry. That's not relationship and friendship. And therefore, there's a mutuality that... There's a give and there's a take. There's a, uh, there's, a, there's a speaking in to one another's life. There's mutual accountability where you're praying, you're, you're speaking life and love, you're committed to walking together, checking on one another, maybe even taking classes together because you're building each other up. In fact, I love what this next verse uh, says. The next verse for us, and admonishing one another is in Ecclesiastes. We've heard it many times. Chapter four and verse 10, if one falls down, the what other reaches out and helps him up. That's, that's encouraging and admonishing and, and, and striving to walk together. But people who are alone, when they fall down, are in real trouble. That's why Paul would say, I believe he's the writer of Hebrews in 1024, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. There's mutual encouragement. And so back over there in Romans 15 that we read a moment ago, Paul says, I know that you're full of goodness. You are filled with knowledge and you're filled with love. Now at this point, he hadn't, he hadn't met and, and he's writing to them. He hasn't been to them yet, but he's heard about their faith. He's heard about them. And so he's writing about them. Now, man, God, let that be a prayer that is said or a, a statement that is said about us that we're full of goodness. Oh, I know we're filled with knowledge. 
There's a lot of knowledge that's transferred at Christian Life Center, but it's not knowledge alone that brings transformation. It's being full of goodness and filled with love. When we love one another, it's a testimony to the world that's around. In fact, Ephesians 4, Paul, the apostle Paul again says, speak speak only what is helpful for building others up. Now, this is an important part. According to whose needs? Their needs. So I don't speak to my spouse and, 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 and try to speak encouragement that it's going to benefit me, and that's what we usually do. I don't try to encourage this or this and this so that it makes things better for me, but that's what we usually do. No. I speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that they may benefit as they listen. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, encourage one another who feels left out. Help all who are weak and patient and be patient with everyone. So there's this mutuality. There's, there's this accountability. There's mutual encouragement. There's mutual, and we're going to talk about this more next week, there's mutual honor and respect. You see, I think we've lost what honor and respect is in relationships with one another. I'm not just talking about honor and respect with authorities in our life, but I'm talking among one another. How do we honor and respect one another? We're going to dive into that next week. Okay, so admonish, say it, admonish one another. The second principle Paul shows, uh, shows us is this principle of Bearing with one another. Say, bear with. Now, I, I didn't want to use the word at first because it kind of just makes it feel like I'm going to endure somebody, right? Bear with somebody. I'm going to bear with them. Just kind of makes it, okay. You know, have you ever gone to a family gathering and you're just like enduring it, right? We all have somebody that we're just enduring. And, and, and it, but yet Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, you're, you're followers of Christ. You're, you're his church. You're his people. And because of that, we've got to bear with one another. Let's look at it. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, verse 1, from the NIV, New uh, International Version, as a prisoner of the Lord. So now he's a prisoner. He's writing what we call the prison epistles. And he says this, I urge you to do what? To live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In verse 2, if I were to read it from the Living Bible, this is how it would read. Verse 2. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because... Of your love. See, James would remind us and warn us that a man who makes no allowances for others, there will be no allowances made for him. The key to bearing with one another, to help you to understand what does that mean, is found in another word, and that word is humility. Say humility. First Peter 5 5 says, Clothe yourself with humility 
towards one another. So if I'm going to bear with somebody, I have to understand what humility is. You see, humility is, is not thinking higher of yourself or lower of yourself. Many people think it, it might be that, that we, we we're thinking lower and we put down our opinions or, or our thoughts. That's actually not what it is. In fact, it's actually not even just an, an emotion. It's actually an action. Humility isn't thinking higher of myself. It's not thinking lower of myself. It's really not even thinking of myself at all. It's thinking of others and how I can serve them and help them to be what God wants them to be. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, look here. Philippians chapter 2 in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. So humility is not just that I'm shy or I'm timid or I'm bashful or I'm weak or I'm spineless, I I lack confidence or insecurity. That's not humility. Humility actually takes a lot of courage. Humility takes a lot of self-confidence. Humility, when you walk in humility, there's a high self-esteem, personal high self-esteem because you're putting others above your own needs and you're elevating them instead of elevating yourself. And that's why God says he loves the humble. God says, listen, you bear with one another. The key is through the word humility because you support one another. God says, I I have promises I'm going to give to you. I promise that I'm going to guide the humble. I'm going to give wisdom to the humble. I'm going to rescue the humble. He says, I'm going to exalt the humble. Why? It's because God says when we're humble, we're not thinking of ourselves, but we're thinking of others. And in that, it reflects Christ himself because we put the apron on ourselves and we begin to serve others. So don't miss that humility is something that you do. It's not just that you stay quiet and you don't brag or, or, or don't get, you know, egotistical, allowed. You know, it's not this false humility. You know, it's, it's a serving others in what you do. It's in what you think and what you do. Can I hear an amen? So, real practically, I know my time is running out, but how do you walk in humility? How do you bear with one another? Well, the first key I would tell you is give preference to others in your life. How do you serve others like this? Paul would say you give preference to them. What do you mean give preference? Well, Romans 12, 10, give preference to one another in honor. Now, preference is you let somebody lead, right? You let somebody go forward, right? You, you open the door and you give preference. You let them go first. And he says, you do it to honor. Now, we're going to talk about honor next week, honor and respect next week. But you esteem them. You honor them. You give preference to one another. Paul says this in Philippians 2, verse 3, when you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and do what? Give more honor. Give more. Man, I can't wait until we're giving more honor. Giving more. It happened to Pastor Nadine. I'm just going to call it. It happened last week, two weeks ago, with you and I. 
I brought you up to, you know, spend some time with Sean Smith, right? And we were with Sean Smith, and, and, and so I was just bragging on Pastor Nadine, and, and we can brag on her all day long, right? I was just bragging on her, talking about her. I think she's one of the best preachers in America, and I was just bragging on her. And and uh, Nadine tried to turn it back to me. It was funny. I'm sure Sean was watching. So Nadine tried to turn it back to me, and she started bragging on me. And then I started bragging back on her, and then she was bragging back on me, and Sean said, I get it, I get it, I get it. <laughs> it's give more honor. Give more. Say it with me. Give more honor to others than to yourself. Don't be interested only in your own life, but instead, what? The lives of others. Give preference. Learn from others. How do I walk in humility? Is I learn from others. You might have the highest degrees in your profession. You might have all of the accolades. You might have had all of the positions. But can I tell you, there is still more that you can learn. Can I hear an amen? It's a sign of humility is that I'm learning. I mean, I come to a service if I'm not preaching. By the way, if I'm not preaching, that's a great day for me. If I'm not preaching, I'm sitting there. I got my, I got my notes out. I'm, I'm taking notes. There's something there. I wrote a lesson 20 years ago. I wrote the lesson 20 years ago. We've taught it in encounter time after time after time after time again. And I sat last week in encounter when Pastor Tim, and isn't Pastor Tim a great communicator and preacher? Man, oh man, Maritza, you should be proud. Maritza's over here and Eddie, man, man, he's a great communicator. He was teaching this lesson. He was teaching the lesson in School of Discipleship. It was so good. Now I wrote the lesson. I wrote the lesson, but it was so good how he taught it, and he brought new perspective to it and illustration and story. It was so good. I texted him the next day, and I said, okay, I want you to teach it to the staff on Monday. I want you to teach the staff this lesson on Monday. Now, I wrote the lesson. I could have said, hey, thanks for teaching that lesson. This is just good, and I'm going to teach it. No, 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 no. Tim taught it so good. There was things. I got three pages of notes. It's on my desk. I looked at it last night, and it was like new thoughts, new things, that it was so impactful. What am I saying is that we can learn from one another. It's a sign. It's a sign of humility. All right, let me back it up with Scripture. If you reject criticism, Proverbs 15, 32, you only harm yourself. I feel like I went a little too fast on that. Let me say it again. If you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. Have you ever been around a know-it-all? Isn't it annoying? I mean, they know it all. At least they think they know it all. They know it all. Well, if you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. All right. I got to move on. Last two points. Worship team, you're already up here. God bless you. Oh, man, I run out of time every week, don't I? Relationships. Someone just said, keep going. (laughs) I receive it. Jesus' name, I receive it. A mess worth making. The bottom line is this, hear me. Is your relationships, our relationships will not have the depth and will not be what God has planned and purposed for us if we don't learn to forgive. 
one another. Now, forgiving, let me just tell you, let me give it to you in simple terms. Forgiving is that you loose. Let me say it another way. You cancel the debt. What they've done, you cancel that. You, you release that. In fact, the Bible is very clear. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not keep records of wrongs that others do. You're canceling it. You're releasing it. Releasing what? Primarily, you're releasing your right to have vengeance. You're releasing the right to do whatever's been done to you. See, forgiveness, though, is not. I want you to hear me because there's some in this room and are listening to me that you're carrying deep pains and hurts. So much that's stored up. And I want you to hear me very, very clearly and sincerely. Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. It's not like, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. It's not a, no, 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 that's denial. Don't worry about it, it's not a big deal. No, it might be something that really needs to be talked about. It's not minimizing it. And, come on, let's be honest, it's not forgetting it. It's not keeping record of it. I mean, we can't forget it. I had one of the most painful things ever happen in ministry. It's been, it's been now almost 17 or 18 years. And I learned in that situation that healing is both, and forgiveness, healing and forgiveness are linked together. Forgiveness is both an event and a process. That I can release, and by releasing, I'm, I'm releasing the right to get vengeance. Because let's be honest, in our heart, we want to get even. We want to get even. In our heart, we want something to happen to them so that we're vindicated. But it's releasing that. And so I can't just forget it, but yet I'm not pained by it. I know I've been forgiven when I can bless that person. I can verbally, out loud, not in your head, out loud. So I knew I hadn't really released it all. It was a process because when I would go to pray for them, <laughs> I would go to bless them, and I just, now I know you're looking at me like right now you're a lion in the den of Daniels right now, but I'm just telling you, I would go to bless them, and I would, I would I'd try to get it out. I tried to do it verbally, God, and I couldn't. I couldn't. There was a pain that was still there. It was there. So I had to just keep praying, keep asking. Now, it wasn't something that I had to go to them about. They didn't even know about it. It was something I was dealing with. And it was a deep, deep pain. Genuine forgiveness relinquishes my right to get even, to take avenge. In fact, this is what the scripture says in that Paul, I love Paul. Paul says again here in Romans 12, we were just there, never avenge yourself leave that to God for he has said that he will what repay those who deserve it now through the years can I tell you that most times most disagreements conflict and offense the two parties don't even realize the two different perspectives and the best thing you could do is what the scripture says in Matthew and that is come together talk about it and allow the healing to begin the flow. I learn nowadays that we don't avenge ourselves physically, usually, but we are, 
We avenge ourselves through what we say, through our gossip, through, our, through, through the words that we will spread or, or the things that we will say. And therefore, we begin to go into this avenging. If we're gonna be what God wants us to be, we gotta, we gotta understand as a church this lesson from Paul that's so, so powerful. Gossip, by the way, is when you share something with someone and that person that you share it with is not a part of the problem, nor are they a part of the solution to the problem. That's gossip. We all have to fight gossip. Let me say it again. Gossip is when I share something with someone that's not a part of the problem or a part of the solution to the problem. Oh, well, I'm just seeking advice. <laughs> no. You might have one or two that are not in that circle at all that might be able to advise you, but when you go and go and go and go and go and go, that's gossip. And we just got to call it what it is. Forgiveness, genuine forgiveness responds to whatever evil or harm with good. And we give God the glory for that. All right, lastly, lastly, we, we, first of all, admonish one another. We bear with one another. We forgive one another. And lastly, we determine in our hearts we're going to walk together. Say walk together. I'm going to walk together. Walking together is a determination to be unified. You know that I strive and, and preach much about unity because in our unity is a anointing. It's a personal anointing and, and releasing the gifts that God has given to me and, and what God wants to do in and through me. But there's also a corporate anointing when we walk together in unity. And last week we looked at in our unity, it's a witness to the world. May we be known for our love for one another in the good deeds of what we do as kingdom builders of taking the message around the world. But let's not forget, the world will know, those that are around us will know that we're followers of his by our love for one another. And so Paul would say this in Romans 12. Romans 12, we've been reading here. He says, if it is possible. Now, you may say, well, it's not possible. Paul is saying it's probably not possible with unbelievers you might not be able to do it with believers, but over and over again, I hope you hear me say that Paul is assuming among the believers of God that we're going to walk together in peace. So he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, what's the goal? Live at peace with everyone. If we live at peace, if we work at it, we strive towards it, if that happens, there'll be a unity that comes over. Scripture is very clear in the final thoughts that if I perceive it's my fault that I've done something, I've said something, there's a disagreement, a conflict, or an offense that I have done, in Matthew 5, 24, it says, leave your gift. In, in your worship, if, if you're at fault, a break with another is a break with God. So if we're not 
walking in unity the way we should, it's affecting the way I worship and respond to God. And you can't just push it away. So Paul says, leave the gift, leave that worship and go and make it right. He's, he's saying reconciliation is the most important thing. So if I'm at fault, he says, I've got to, I've got to take the initiative. If I perceive you're at fault, the other is at fault, then he says in Matthew 18, go to them and show them. Discuss it. They may not even know. If there's something, talk about it, discuss it. Because when you do, then that unity says you will win over a brother and, and there'll be a unity that begins to grow. So we gotta walk together. Say walk together. We gotta strive for Unity. I want to go back to Colossians in my final reading. Worship team, come on out with me. Colossians 3, verse 12. I started with it. I want to end with it. Colossians 3, verse 12. Maybe you can read it with me. Can you do that? Is it big enough? Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive one another or one uh, anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, say it again, above all, Say it louder. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Amen. Bow your hearts with me. Father, what a powerful, powerful word that you've shared with us today. Father God, I thank you that you're showing us that our relationships are a mess worth making and that we should strive, we should strive to walk in unity. We should walk to forgive one another, to bear with one another, and Father, to admonish one another. As we do, you'll be glorified. As we do, you will be exalted. As we do, the world will know that we love you by our love for one another. This message, I know, is a reflective kind of message. Over this afternoon and this week, I pray that as we reflect on it, that God, you will reveal the areas that we need to work that we'll strive to, to encourage and inspire one another. Father, we will move towards the circles of two or three and one because it's there that deep relationships are formed and it's there that we grow and develop to be what you want us to be. If there's any conflict, if there's any disagreement, if there's any, Father, offense that's in any of our hearts, I pray you'll reveal it, and I pray, God, you'll help us to release it. And Father, through all, you will be glorified. We love you, Lord. 
We praise you. What a joy it's been to worship you today. We give honor to you. And all God's people said, amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.